Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, yes, those COVID-19 vaccines are now available for the littlest ones under five. We'll hear from two Georgia based pediatricians regarding what questions parents have been asking thus far and also the questions that you all have emailed me throughout the night, some at 4 a.m. in the morning. Glad to know that y'all were preparing. Also, a reporting partnership between ProPublica and the PBS program Frontline examines how anti-critical race theory so-called activists are intimidating schools across the country. Nationwide, (laughs) educators are so frustrated because we are being attacked and accused of something that has not existed in K-12 education. And in this investigative feature, the focus is on a Cherokee County black educator forced out of her job as a newly hired DEI specialist. But guess what? The saga doesn't end there. We'll hear from veteran journalist and ProPublica reporter Nicole Carr as she joins me with more. Now, those conversations coming up. But first this, another Atlanta Starbucks has voted to unionize the Ansley Mall location here in the Atlanta area is the third Georgia Starbucks to petition the National Labor Relations Board, citing a need for improved pay, benefits and scheduling. The 11-3 vote is in line with 300 nationwide petitions for unionization. Now, the Starbucks Corporation has resisted union efforts and was unresponsive when asked for a comment. In other news, our U.S. Senator Raphael Warnock is celebrating President Joe Biden's call to Congress to suspend the federal gas tax for three months. Even if it is later than he would have liked, Warnock has been pushing lawmakers to halt the 18 cents a gallon tax since February. I'm glad that uh, somebody's listening. And uh, I'd like to see the Congress get this passed sooner than later. Warnock's Republican opponent in November, Herschel Walker, would not back a gas tax suspension during a campaign event earlier this week. The suspension of Georgia's state gas tax of 29 cents a gallon is set to expire in the middle of next month. Two of the co-owners of the new nuclear reactors at Plant Vogel are suing Georgia Power over their share of the mounting cost. Emily Jones has the latest on the $30 billion project. Oglethorpe Power and Municipal Electric Authority of Georgia both want to freeze their payments for construction at Plant Vogel. In exchange, they'd each own a smaller share of the reactors. It's part of an agreement the co-owners made in 2018. If the cost climbed over a set limit, the smaller utilities could cap their spending while Georgia Power paid for the rest. Oglethorpe and MEAG say they've hit that limit. Georgia Power disagrees. The dispute does not affect work at Plant Vogel, which is more than 90 percent complete and currently slated to start producing power next year. Costs for the project have doubled as the timeline has slipped by years on the only nuclear power construction project in the country. Emily Jones, WABE News. And finally, a familiar name returns this weekend. Freddie Freeman, now a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers, will be back as the Atlanta Braves play the Dodgers this weekend. First game is Friday night at Truist Park. Freeman, a fan favorite for so many years, signed with the Dodgers as a free agent back in March. Welcome back, Freddie. I need you to sign my jersey. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. 
The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Earlier this week, President Joe Biden says it's a major milestone. The United States is now the first country in the world to offer safe and effective COVID-19 vaccines for children as young as six months old. In the first time in our fight against this pandemic, nearly every American can now have access to life-saving vaccines. Well, the Food and Drug Administration and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention all agree that, yes, now's the time. Those first COVID-19 vaccines for children under the age of five is A-OK. And now as these vaccines, doses are being shipped out to states across the country. The littlest folks of our population, yes, they're now eligible to be vaccinated. However, we know that many parents do have questions about the vaccine. So what do we do? We call the people who are very smart and we love and they've been on the show before and they keep coming back. We got to get him a mug. Dr. Andy Shane, the chief of the Division of Pediatric Infectious Diseases at Emory University School of Medicine and the medical D- director of infectious disease at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, and Dr. Jacob Eichelberger, a pediatrician at Augusta University Medical Center. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And I will get the mugs out to you, I promise, and maybe even a t shirt. Thank you. That was wonderful. Everyone's excited about that. Let's begin here. Uh, Dr. Shane, because you and I have been having this conversation for, I feel like, two years now. Um, So finally, here we are. Just your thoughts now that the littlest folks in our population now are eligible for vaccinations. Yes, this is such a fabulous achievement. And um, as we've talked about before, vaccines really are the foundation for the prevention of severe COVID-19 in children. We know that vaccines can prevent hospitalizations, they can prevent death, and they can prevent a lot of the long-term complications that we don't clearly understand uh, from this virus. Dr. Hockenberger, what do you think? Uh, I agree. I'm personally excited because I have uh, one of my five children is in this age group. Um, Mm -hmm. He's been the last of us that hasn't been able to be vaccinated or boosted, and um, We are, just like everybody else, sort of um, emerging from pandemic um, lockdowns and precautions and going out in public a little bit more and starting back activities. And so um, it is good to know that he's going to be able to be uh, as protected as the rest of the family and uh, feel more comfortable putting him in group activities. Dr. Eichenberger, let me stay with you for a moment then. I imagine you've already had some questions from parents, caregivers. What have you? What are the, some of those common questions that folks have or concerns? Yeah, great question. Um, this one surprised me a little bit. I guess like most of the stuff through the pandemic has um, been surprising. The questions I've gotten are not the same as with the older age groups, um, usually because the technology for these is the same as um, the previously given vaccines that have been given billions of times. Um, The questions have been a lot harder to answer. Um, Really? Which one should I get, Moderna or Pfizer? Um, And I had to ask some of my local experts about that one. And the best answer is that you're probably not going to get to pick, uh, you know, if you find a location with a vaccine, they're probably going to have one or the other, Pfizer Mm -hmm. or Moderna. and both have shown efficacy and safety and both are approved. And so um, find a place that's convenient that has it that you can get an appointment for and um, get the vaccine that you are going to get. We have an appointment scheduled for my son and I don't know which one um, he will be getting. But uh, the answer is that they both look safe and effective. Um, the other question I thought that was surprising that I haven't found any advice for is um, I have a kid who is almost five. Uh, they could get the older kid dose in, say, a couple months. Should I wait and do the 5 to 12 uh, vaccine or should I go ahead and do the four-year-old vaccine? Um, and it looks like the answer is probably vaccination as soon as possible is the mm-hmm. recommendation. Um, there were kids in this same um, scenario in the vaccine trials, kids that were four turning five during the vaccination process. Um, and so that's not an untested group. And so go ahead and get vaccinated uh, as soon as you can. 
right. Dr. Anishane, before I'm, I'm going to ask you those same questions that Dr. Eichenberger had, but what questions have parents been asking you about and their concerns? So I think one of the other questions, and I agree with the ones that have been asked, I think uh, people are worried about safety. Um, Mm -hmm. This is a younger age group, and a lot of children in this age group um, have a lot of other vaccines that they're also scheduled to receive. And so I think that making sure that parents understand that these vaccines can be given at the same time or um, at a different time with the regularly scheduled vaccines and that there's no interaction between those and that you won't overwhelm a child's immune system. So safe to give simultaneously with other scheduled vaccines um, is one. And then another uh, question, some families have also, especially parents, have had some side effects from the vaccine, have had Mm -hmm. sore arms, felt tired, maybe had a headache. And what has been really incredible is that the side effects in the children who have been engaged in the trials have been much, much uh, less than those that we've seen in older children and in adults. And um, so I think that that's also an important reassuring factor for parents. And Dr. Shane, Dr. Andy Shane, I have a question for you. just popped up. I have a listener who says that I have a five-year-old who is bigger than most five-year-olds. Does the, and I think Dr. Eichenberg has sort of talked about this, which dose do I get? Because it sounds like maybe this five-year-old could use the the older for the older kids, or what do you recommend? And obviously, we always encourage folks out there to definitely consult with their primary care mm-hmm. physician. But as experts, you all can offer some suggestions. Sure, that's a great question, and I think we talked about that before when we had the uh, the five through twelve-year-olds. And so there were children uh, at all of all weights and all ages that were involved in these trials as well. And so. Um, you know, the point really is that one should get whatever is available at the time and uh, that there is uh, lots of evidence that um, that is really the way to go. And so I would advise parents not to wait uh, to get the dose that's available for that child at that age. And I think you both talked about this, too, is another question. You know, my child will be starting school soon. Should I wait and get them all at the same time or should I just go ahead and get the COVID-19 vaccine because that's what everyone's doing or can I, can I wait and get them all because he needs this before he goes back to school before he can start school rather well I think one thing to keep in mind is that it does take a little bit of time for one to actually develop complete immune protection after receiving both COVID-19 vaccines and other vaccines it's probably about uh, two weeks or so is what we know from the from the trials that have been done so uh, I would keep that in mind but also at the same time we're seeing surges and increases. And so really my recommendation would be if the vaccine's available to go ahead and, and start the series. Dr. Ackerberger, there was so much talk and, and I, know I had Dr. Shane on and, and when they were doing the clinical trials. And again, obviously parents, caregivers, their first concern is, is safety. You mentioned you're, you're a parent of five too. So you understand both sides of that. Have you had conversations where you've had to try to convince other parents and you are a pediatrician? Um, about just the, the safetyness of this of the vaccines, and what are those conversations like? Yeah, so this um, at least earlier in the before this age group, that was definitely the most common question I was asked was about safety and how do you know it's safe? And um, you know, I know kids don't get as sick as adults with COVID, so how do you weigh that? Um, and so that is going to be a common question that we're going to get again as more kids are getting vaccinated. Um, and the answer is that it is very safe. The studies have shown it's safe. Um, and one of the things I like to tell parents is that you're not making a decision between um, sort of the vaccine and nothing mm-hmm. with how contagious this virus is and how it looks like it's not going to go away. Um, you're really making a decision between a vaccine and a natural infection. And um, the studies that have looked at almost everything parents fear, the myocarditis, the um, inflammatory liver stuff, the long COVID, almost all of the studies have demonstrated that a natural infection with COVID puts you at higher risk of all of these complications than the vaccine. Um, And in some cases, like the long COVID, some of the studies have shown that vaccine, getting vaccinated when you have long COVID reduces symptoms. So um, even with prior infection, it looks like vaccines will help prevent future infections and reduce um, complications of the natural infection after. 
Now, Dr. Eichenberger, I want you to, for folks who may not be familiar, you mentioned long COVID. Uh, take that further for them and define it for us. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I did mention that without any introduction. Dr. Shane might be the um, more expert on that one. There are some formal definitions now. It mm-hmm. was first described as a constellation of symptoms that persisted after um, after you got through the acute phase of the infection, like um, generally headache, fatigue, uh, muscle aches that lasted long after the expected disease course. Mm-hmm. Um, as we learned more, there are some formal definitions for long COVID. It looks much more uh, common than it was even at the beginning, although everyone probably knows somebody suffering from long COVID. I know I do. Um, some of them mild. I've got mm-hmm. a friend who has been six months after infection and still doesn't have sense of smell back. I consider mm-hmm. that a pretty mild, but some of them are much more severe with headaches, fatigue, muscle aches, uh, loss of the sort of the ability to concentrate sometimes. Um, and so that's, those are some of the symptoms of long COVID, um, but I don't have the uh, clinical diagnostic criteria right in front of me, and I don't want to misspeak. Maybe Dr. Shane could help me out. Dr. Shane, it's all on you. Um, sure. So, yes, you know, I think that what it was really described very nicely, and it is a whole, it is a constellation of symptoms um, following a documented COVID-19 uh, 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 infection. And so um, we've seen a, a wide range of symptoms. And I think the other challenge also is this is not unique to the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID. We do see uh, post, we call it post-infectious, meaning after the infection syndromes uh, of fatigue after other viruses as well. But what's really interesting is that although there's been a lot of studies that have been done to try to understand what risk factors uh, exist and who is more likely to mm-hmm. have some of these long-term uh, manifestations, we really haven't been able to identify that. And I think that gets us back to really the rationale for, for vaccinating everybody. And as Dr. Eichenberger mentioned, the importance of really um, making sure that we get that foundation and, and protecting those children. I'd also say that, you know, we take care of a lot of children in the hospital mm-hmm. who have other underlying medical conditions. And what we are seeing is that those children who are not vaccinated are more likely to have uh, exacerbations or complications of their underlying medical conditions, which seem to be triggered by uh, COVID, uh, by COVID-19. And so I think that that's another important point for parents who have children who are medically complex, that it's even more important uh, for them to be vaccinated to be completely protected. Dr. Shane, I'll, I'll give this question to you. It comes from a listener who wants to know that about the booster vaccination for children between the ages of five and 11. Do you, what's the time, she's right, what is the time period from that first vac- vaccination to the this, the booster? Is it the same for adults as it was for adults? So um, CDC has a very nice uh, um, link on their website that you can input a child's age, the vaccines that they received, the dates that they've received, and um, get uh, some guidance on uh, exactly when the booster dose should be given. And so there's lots of variables. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I uh, sure. we refer people to that because it depends on the dates as well um, uh, for one to know exactly. But the, a booster dose is now... Uh, universally recommended for uh, all children uh, five, five and older. Now, here's my question, because you both are fine pediatricians. You're wonderful folks. You're your parents. But you have a little one that comes in that is scared to death of needles. <laughs> I remember that age. What is your process for trying to get them to, to put them at ease? Are you, do you morph into like a cartoon character? You change your voice. What's your process, Dr. Eichenberger? How do you get that little one to be very calm and at ease? Uh, I think the answer here is almost always distraction, which means it's a group effort. Um, Put the kid with the parent in some sort of comforting position. Maybe that's on their lap. Maybe that's holding them um, sort of chest to chest with, you know, your hand on the back of their head. Mm -hmm. And um, so number one, get the kid in a comfortable position. Number two, get some distraction. Here at the Children's Hospital, um, we have Child Life available, which is a topic on its own, but basically some folks that help us normalize the experience. Um, But if you don't have those sort of facilities in your office, uh, have a nurse with a noise-making device or a tablet. Um, I keep talking about 
getting a virtual reality headset sort of as a distraction method, but it is a very, very brief uh, bit of discomfort. Um, and usually the kids do just fine. Dr. Shane, do you use a hand puppet? What you doing over there at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta? What you got working? Well, I think that those are great techniques. I, um, we have fabulous, fabulous nurses who are usually the ones who are administering, administering the vaccines and they just have a magic touch. Um, you know, comforting parents is something wonderful. Um, also, if you can, if the child's older and you can try to rationalize with them, um, I have an eight and a half year old who went through this a couple of months ago and bribery actually worked quite well. So, um, you was, know, it, I was it gelato? That, uh, because I'm getting gelato after the show, after I have a visit, you know, with, with a, a doctor, medical checkup, and I'm going to get gelato. So that always works for me. I don't know about your eight and a half year old, but. Okay. He has a little um, other expectations, but, you know, I think it, it, the point is really sort of um, um, adjusting your recommendations and some of these techniques to the age and the, uh, of the child and, and, the, and the family as well. And so the nice thing about these vaccines is that the way that they're delivered, they are actually not very painful at the time that the vaccine is, is given. Um, and most children, actually, it's more the anxiety of seeing the needle that creates the problem, the actual injection itself is is very mild. And then I just have one uh, final question from a listener who wants to know, one of the doctors mentioned side effects, not to be an alarmist, but could I hear more about those? Um, sure. So we know we did several of the trials here and that uh, most children actually experienced a very uh, small uh, amount of uh, swelling or sore arm the next day within the first 24 hours. Um, some children had a little bit of felt tired. Um, that was usually more common after the second dose than the first dose. Um, but all of these uh, symptoms resolved within uh, a day or so of receiving the vaccine. Some children did have a sore arm that may have lasted for a little more than 24 hours. Uh, the arm became more sore when one had to do chores, uh, but was less sore when one <laughs> wanted to go swimming. So, you know, I think that the the main point really is that um, these the side effects were much less than those that were experienced by older children and certainly by adults in general. And as we begin to wrap up and we start this conversation reflecting on just how far we've come, Dr. Andy Shan, I've asked you this before, you know, where do you think we'll be maybe by the end of the year in terms of, you know, folks, should not, not just the littlest ones, but, you know, I think right now we're about, we're still under 70% total vaccination of, of eligibility here in our nation, but where do you see us going here by the end of the year, you think? Well, I really hope, Rose, that we can really try to increase the vaccination rates because the one thing about vaccination with this virus is we know that you not only protect yourself, you protect those around you. And so that is really incredibly important. Um, I do hope, you know, with back to school, um, there often isn't a focus on getting up to date on immunizations. And I hope that parents will consider um, having COVID vaccines as part of that uh, getting up to date. It really will allow children to go back to school. We've spoken about uh, the importance of staying in school and all the benefits of school. And mm -hmm. so these vaccines really help us. We also are probably going to have an interesting uh, flu season coming up and all of our viruses are acting in ways that we've never seen before. And so what we really want to make sure is that we don't have uh, great increases in COVID-19, and if we do, uh, that our families and children are optimally protected. All right, and Dr. Eichenberger, I'll give you the last word there. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to just add a little bit to what Dr. Shane said. Um, I definitely don't want to be predicting the future of this one, but I am looking ahead to some um, different maybe routes of administration, such as nasal vaccines, pan-coronavirus vaccines, meaning vaccines that are good against all coronavirus strains that are known. Um, so I'm hoping that we'll have some continued advancement in this vaccine uh, development. Um, and then honestly, at this point, it, since it looks like we're not getting rid of COVID completely, um, I would love to see some predictability, some seasons that are predictable. I'm, I'm in the hospital now and seeing tons of RSV, mm -hmm. and it is not supposed to be RSV season. So if we could get back to just some bit of predictability and um, an ability to anticipate what's coming, I think that would make me feel better. 
All right, Dr. Jacob Eichenberger, a pediatrician at Augusta University Medical Center. And, of course, you're all familiar with Dr. Andy Shane, the chief of the Division of Pediatric Infectious Disease at Emory University School of Medicine and the medical director of Infectious Disease at Children's Health Care of Atlanta. Thank you both for taking the time. Thank you for answering questions from our, our audience. And remember, parents, gelato is your friend in all of this. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Take Thanks. care. Thank you. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Here we go. CRT, critical race theory. Three little words that can cause an explosion of emotions regarding what CRT is and what it is not. We've been down this road before. And while CRT has been around for decades, the last few years it's been used as a political fire rod, some would say, often accompanied with misinformation about critical race theory, what it is, where it's taught, which is not in elementary, middle, or high school. And since last year, Republican-led state legislatures, including Georgia this year, have passed measures while not exactly citing CRT, but banning, quote, divisive concepts in classrooms. So here in Georgia, how is that defined? Well, it includes this. One, that one race or ethnicity is inherently superior to another race or ethnicity. The United States of America and the state of Georgia are fundamentally or systemically racist. That's what you cannot teach in Georgia. Now, there's a reporting partnership between ProPublica and the PBS program Frontline that examines just how anti-critical race theory activists, if you will, are intimidating schools across the country. And in this investigative feature, the focus is on a Cherokee County black educator forced out of her job as a newly hired DEI specialist. But it doesn't end there. As you'll hear in just a moment, Nicole Carr is a veteran and award-winning investigative journalist with ProPublica. We all remember her from her TV days as well. She joins me now with more about all this. Nicole, welcome. Let's begin with you telling our listeners a little bit about Cecilia Lewis. Who is she? Sure. Uh, Cecilia Lewis, who I I hope uh, readers were able to connect with her in this piece Mm -hmm. and uh, see this controversy, you know, uh, for what it is and who it affects and uh, the real consequences of our words and actions. Uh, Cecilia Lewis is a longtime educator, uh, went to UNC Chapel Hill, studied international studies, uh, studied Russian and Japanese language, uh, celebrated educator, Mm -hmm. uh, was a middle school principal when Uh, She began in Southern Maryland when she began applying to Georgia school districts for various reasons. She and her husband had decided to relocate to the area. So he was um, uh, transferred within his company to a position in Alpharetta. And she was just kind of uh, looking for uh, something in the realm of of coaching teachers and, and teacher development in positions that she saw in a variety of counties. And Cherokee was uh, one of the first to call. So, <laughs> so that's where she went to interview. Veteran educator, impeccable education track, and not only as a teacher, but as a leader. So she's hired by Cherokee County School District to do what? So she applied, and I think this is really, really important to sure. the story. Uh, she applied for a position that essentially... Uh, works as a coach for teachers, like Mm -hmm. someone in the school who they can access in their classrooms to help them with uh, curriculum, with developments, really taking veteran educators and pairing them uh, with teachers, not to evaluate them, but to uh, help them become better at their craft. And they would be accessible on the ground in the school. So that's the position she applied for. Uh, But when they got through this fantastic interview in Cherokee County. They were like, hey, we think you would be a great fit for this new position we've created. And so this DEI administrator, it was the first position of its kind, uh, kind of came out of, uh, it it developed from a couple of positions because there were, there was a lot involved in this, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They had an outgoing administrator who was focused on SEL, that's social emotional learning. Mm -hmm. And the committees that came up with the programming for that, that resulted from uh, Cherokee County's response to uh, the rate of suicides Mm -hmm. in the school district. So this was pre-pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that administrator was retiring and they were kind of roping in 
diversity initiatives that uh, came out of another ad hoc committee, this one involving uh, stakeholders of color, parents, students, uh, staff, business owners in the community said, hey, uh, we need to better reflect the community. We need to address certain things within our uh, learning spaces that are inclusive of our uh diversifying student body, you know, and addressing, as Cecilia Lewis likes to put it, the whole child. And so what gave her pause, and you read this in the story mm -hmm. about taking the position, was not what was behind it or what it included. Uh, it was the scope of it. Mm -hmm. uh, they were really creating something that they didn't even have a title for when she interviewed, mm. <laughs> you know, it was a lot of things. And they came up with the first administrator of, of DEI initiatives. And she looked at it as a position that could use data uh, to address the whole child. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like look at the needs of the, of, of the, the child in every aspect and, and see how we can better address them. And so she was excited about taking the job. And Nicole, um, what do we know about, Cherokee, Cherokee County Public Schools in terms of its demographics. I mean, it's it has a it's it's majority white when we say that and probably more than 60 percent. I, I believe I oh, read that. Yes. Yes. And and you read in an email from a parent about the um, the community. She was dissatisfied about Lewis coming mm -hmm. and she notes the census data for mm -hmm. Cherokee County and the schools look a lot like the census data. Mm -hmm. Right. So we were looking at. Um, 77% white um, and everyone else, you know, pacing. I don't have the stats right sure. in front of me. I don't want to misquote uh, them. But I think, it's, I it's think, not, to, it, it, well, in terms of non white, it would have to be somewhere around in the 30% anyway, if we're talking right. non white. So, right. Nicole, as word gets around, you just mentioned, you mentioned parents here that about Cecilia Lewis, there is a faction of parents with some concerns. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. go ahead. You take it from there. So, uh, you know, the position had been advertised and in newsletters and the ad hoc committee and all of that. Um, you know, even before she took the job, there was an announcement that had everyone's photo in it uh, in March of 2021 that welcomed new leaders to the district for the upcoming school year. And, uh, you know, when I'm filing open records requests, I see things take off after the announcements mm -hmm. made. Hmm. Um, so the position was out there. And I, I don't know if that is clear enough in the piece now that I'm talking <laughs> with you about <laughs> this. The name of uh, the, the position or the idea behind the position and what it would address had been out there. Mm hmm. There's the this trouble starts after the announcement. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that. So there's this meeting, and I and I love how this is, is presented, that takes place, quote, inside a gabled white clubhouse overlooking the hills of a Cherokee County golf course. Dozens of parents from across the county had assembled on a Sunday afternoon for a lesson in an emerging form of warfare. School board meetings would be their battlefield. Their enemy was CRT. We're going to play a clip of this. Now we understand the audio may be a little bit difficult to understand, but here's a woman, I believe her name is Noelle, and correct me if I'm saying her Cahan. name. Yeah. Cahan. Cahan. Mm -hmm. She's talking to the crowd about this, quote, tsunami strategy and a game plan in terms of how folks should strategize to oppose CRT because it's their, it's the enemy. And so at this meeting, Nicole, what did you all learn? What, what was the sort of the narrative in this meeting? Uh, there was a lot to unpack there. And uh, if I can back it up for a moment, Rose, going into this story, 
I imagined two stories, but I didn't know what I would get. Mm-hmm. One was about what happened to Cecilia Lewis. And the other is like, how does this happen? How does this um, hysteria end up at the footsteps of um, the school board meeting buildings mm-hmm. across the country? And how, do, why does it sound the same everywhere we turn? And why can't we clearly define what we're talking about? Mm-hmm. And why? And so it, the organization behind uh, this this movement is what I was interested in. I um, through records requests and sourcing, and I, I, I came across this audio. Mm-hmm. Someone who was in that meeting said, "Hey, I went I went somewhere <laughs> almost a year ago, and you should listen." Mm-hmm. And so. On the meeting invite, you know, there was a specific agenda item, if you if you will, about uh, Cecilia Lewis's hiring. So she was a main uh, agenda item. Mm-hmm. They come back and they talk about her several times. But what we hear in the meeting, are very specific instructions about their how to's, their toolkits, their, you know, there's a point in the meeting where someone asks, or the crowd is asked, do you know who your school board representative is? And everyone kind of laughs. Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody knows. They they arrive to the meeting and they don't even know some of them who represents. Is the plan here, do we, will we find out that the plan here is to strategize to prevent Ms. Lewis from ever taking this position? Well, she'd already taken it. And so you hear, uh, you read in the story where a, a man says, you know, but we, we can change that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the, the plan is to figure out um, how to get rid of her. <laughs> mm. How, how and, and so what we put together through the reporting is we see some of the strategies uh, discussed come to, um, come into play, you know, the identical letters that are sent the actual tsunami you hear Kahan um tell the crowd you know sometimes you can hire a professional videographer Mm -hmm. this is what they did in Forsyth County and that you know that's like your best chance to get on Tucker Carlson yeah in fact the the quote is it's good in case Tucker Carlson wants to put you on air it really helps it really helps and so this this is very much coaching and when you, when you began to look into the groups, you see the ways, and I wrote a column, it came out Saturday about kind of the story behind the story, but there are, are ways in which these groups uh, maintain portals where you anonymously report teachers and incidents. And so you don't have to identify yourself or, mm-hmm. or the game plan or even the, but you just need to provide them with something to to start whatever is about to start. When and did, mm-hmm. no, I was going to ask, when did Cecilia Lewis begin to feel this? The target that she was a target. It was in April. Um, we start the story, uh, you know, in the aftermath of a, a house hunting trip. Mm-hmm. She and her husband were just trying to look for a place in Woodstock. And her first sign, it does, her first communication isn't directly from these, these groups. It's from um, the school district. They start calling and asking her strange questions. (laughs) And you have to put yourself in, in the shoes of everyone in, in spring of 2021. We really didn't have a hold on this movement then. You know, a lot of people have been Mm -hmm. saying, well, how does she not know how CR, what CRT is? Because that's the first question she's asked, Mm -hmm. right? The district calls they say, do you know what CRT is? And she says, culturally responsive teaching. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what she is. That's her thing, right? And um, they're like, well, no, there's a group of parents or a, a group, a community, a group of folks in the northern part of the county and an affluent part of the county. Uh, they're worried you're bringing this here. And mm-hmm. she's like, I, I don't know. And they tell her not to worry that they have a handle on it because by then they're already um, being contacted. Mm-hmm. And asked to meet with the same folks who um, who lead the uh, session that we hear in this audio a month later. And so after that, that's when she starts getting, you know, handwritten notes, mm-hmm. emails uh, to her district in Maryland. Uh, you read in the piece where 
that someone had written her, you don't want to find out what will happen if you come here. It, right. it, they, you know, we, it's. I, I want to read it. I want to read it very clear for our, for our listeners. It says, we don't want you here. and We don't want you to push us to find out what will happen if you come here. Right. Right. And then she gets uh, the handwritten letter, one that stuck or email. One of the emails that stuck out to her was the one calling her a black Yankee from mm-hmm. the north. And so now she's starting to feel like, okay. And this is this is April. We're inching into to May, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, then we get to the school board meeting that, you know, a lot of local outlets mm-hmm. covered the inside of this meeting. If you're just joining us, I'm in conversation with Nicole Carr, investigative reporter. We're talking about Cecilia Lewis in the Cherokee County School District, but there's a lot more to this. Nicole, I want to, if we can, and I don't want to get, we definitely want our listeners to check out the piece here. What happens in terms of this job, Cecilia Lewis? Um, so she, one of the final calls that she gets from the district on the morning of May 20th, 2021, is, um, you know, were you going to, watch the school board meeting the live stream because Mm -hmm. she's in maryland Mm -hmm. at the time although these groups in their private facebook groups they've had sightings of her they say they see her around town the woman's not in georgia Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the time but uh she didn't have plans to watch the board meeting and and someone said i think you should watch and so she and her husband watched the live stream from their bedroom in maryland and um you know, it, it, there was a prayer circle that was formed, uh, near the, um, the dais where the board members sit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, people were walking around with t-shirts and, you know, I don't co-parent with the government and it, mm-hmm. it had a, the energy in that room was, it was high energy. They wanted them to, um, you know, get rid of that position and, vote against CRT in the 1619 project, mm-hmm. which which they did. The crowd was not happy because uh, they were moving forward with something that they thought was the equivalent of, of CRT mm-hmm. with a different name. So, you know, they've been told in the clubhouse and in other forums and by these groups that DEI, SEL, um, any of these three-letter... <laughs> Um, mm. whereas they're all the same thing. And it got to the point where they had to cut the meeting short. Mm-hmm. I think what was not reported locally and what we could not see, um, you know, in the moment, um, maybe some of reporters had left or cameras had left or what, but I, they had to pull kids into a room and get security to follow mm-hmm. the board members and staff members out to the highway board members had security at their homes after this like this thing what we're able to see from or learn from witnesses outside uh was banging on the windows Mm -hmm. the you know it it was uh reminiscent of a different time oh and i I think we understand what (laughs) yeah um cecilia lewis makes a decision that her husband says it first Mm-hmm. Uh, they're listening to the speakers and I believe it was a representative for uh, Vernon Jones's campaign at the time he was running for governor. But when they invoked Dr. King's words and mm-hmm. it was, you know, used against her and she's, she's like, I can't believe, you know, mm-hmm. she's listening to all the speakers and he said, that's it. We're not going, you're not going. And he leaves the room and she, she watches a little while longer and shuts the laptop and, Next morning, you know, she's telling Superintendent Hightower, um, thank you, but but no thank you. And they wanted her to stay. They wanted her to stay. There was talk about having her come on underneath a different title name or something. You know, it, it wasn't, she was not fired. She mm-hmm. was, this was not a place yeah. that she could effectively function. You spoke with Cecilia Lewis, obviously. Um, how would you describe the emotion that she was going through and telling her side of the story or or following up on things that were 
she was accused of, things that were said about mm-hmm. her, the threats. Let's be really clear. Some of those were threats. Those are threats, yeah. right? And they're not. I don't even say veiled threats. You no. know, you know, when they're very being clear. Yeah, threatened. They're very clear. They're very clear. Uh, a, a range of emotions is what she she goes through in this interview, and and some of it you'll be able to see. We've embedded little parts in mm-hmm. it, but we're working on a a, a documentary with Frontline um, about this issue, and you'll really see the range. She. Um, she's a very optimistic person. Mm-hmm. Like it was until that school board meeting it was like, I'm coming. And it, you, there's a quote in the story to the effect of, you know, I just, I would meet with the parents once I got there and they could see who I am and hear from me and see what I'm all about. I thought it would be okay. And that's as she's receiving the, the letters mm-hmm. at work in Maryland, you know, and uh, you know, I think it, it was a range of emotion. She was, angry she was saddened confused yeah not knowing where this is coming from because she hasn't even she's been here twice mm-hmm. she's, she's physically been here twice at that point and then um nicole yeah mm-hmm. it doesn't end one would think it no. might end with cherokee county but then there's another opportunity in another county. And that's what's so interesting about this story um early on i was I caught a comment in a local story where someone had said to watch out for Cecilia Lewis because now she's going to Cobb. You know how folks comment on the mm-hmm. in, in the local the paper. And I said, well, I never heard that part of the story. I didn't realize it. And when I went to her LinkedIn. I saw where she'd only been here two months. Well, once I get into reporting, we see where these groups of, of folks who are in, they have their private Facebook groups that I had access to. Um, they found out her next move mm-hmm. said, guess where she's possibly headed next to Cobb. And in the comments section, you have people uh, talking about reaching out to their contacts there and warning them. And through open records, I can see where immediately, as soon as she starts with the social studies supervisor position, mm-hmm. a short time later, um, that the complaints went straight to the the four Republican school board members and and district leadership from the public, not not the other three board members. And if our listeners don't know the Cobb makeup at the time, mm-hmm. it was, you know, we had uh, three black Democrats, four white mm-hmm. Republicans and a very contentious um, set up there. Nicole, in, in Cobb. I, I got to ask, mm-hmm. gotta, did anyone from did Cherokee County School District agree to go on a record with you all? Did any one of those parents from those groups, did they agree to go on a record with you all? The the school members did. You hear uh, from Mike McGowan mm-hmm. in there. He's the uh, chief, one of the chief officers with the district. Yeah, they spoke very openly about hating what had happened to her. Uh, Superintendent Hightower declined to talk mm-hmm. Um the school board chairwoman, uh, Kyla Cromer, declined to go on the record. Um, I spoke with the communications director and, and McGowan and several others who just did not like mm-hmm. what happened here. Um, among the leaders in that meeting is a parent, a, a mother of four um, there in, in Cherokee. I No one uh, would respond uh, from that side of the mm-hmm. story um mm-hmm. and and to be very clear when we publish a story and it's this is a very long one <laughs> mm-hmm. seventh out we let people know exactly uh what is in it what's coming it comments and we got nothing um mm. we we also should remember and i may be getting ahead of myself please stop me if i i am but what so Cecilia comes to Cobb immediately, starts having trouble, is warned mm-hmm. that this thing, this movement has followed her here. The Cobb folks saying, we don't want what happened to you in Cherokee to happen here. And it's like, well, what did I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am. J- and we should we should remember that through records we see it was Cherokee County that sent her resume and kind of poked Cobb to say, hey, mm-hmm. you know, essentially our loss could be your gain so they did not feel good about this and they wanted her uh to move on how and 
Wow. Mm -hmm. What's the feedback been like so far? I mean, you all just published this, but have you heard from maybe some residents in Cherokee County who said we all didn't feel that way? This is a certain group of factions of of parents or did you? I'm curious. What have you heard? I've, I've heard, sadly, this is who we are. That's what I've heard. Thank you for writing it. Um, I've, I've heard some more pretty sad stories from former district employees and former parents of color. Um, I've heard from people who said they were sad to watch this. They stayed out of it. People who did not agree with what was going on. Um, I have not heard from folks who stand by their assertions that she was here to do something bad. I haven't heard from those folks. I've heard they're they're talking about me in the article a bit in their private groups, but not <laughs> no one has uh, reached out. Um, oh, oh, really? What they say about you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we Real we can talk about that over uh, a Chardonnay, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, we we that, that's not for the program. We'll uh, leave that. But nothing, you know. I think from here, what we what we see uh, the the story from here is, you know, how how does is policy shaped? Um, what happens to folks who? Uh, get into positions where we can can see real you know change coming to curriculum or hires or that you know based on these assertions that Mm -hmm. we see in the story um you know we have legislation we have rules resolutions and all of these things that you talked about in the intro that really will um, impact educators in the coming school year Mm -hmm. so we haven't seen uh the effect of the the movement quite yet but i what i wanted to show in this story is a bit of how we got here and who it impacted in what ways that we were not necessarily aware of and Mm. there we go compelling (laughs) nicole carr award-winning veteran investigative journalist now with ProPublica. nicole thank you so much for coming on and sharing the backstory and what you all did to get this story out to the public. Thank you so much for your work. This is what it's all about, right? Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder, let me know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And of course, if you missed any of today's show, you can find the entire program online at wabe.org slash closer look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. And we have a podcast, so subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like because it's free. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.